If you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, we'll be taking our text from this morning, Matthew chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 1 through 11 here in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be looking at some more verses as we go through this, but our main text is going to be out of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And here the Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men and inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child and when you found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Father, help us now as we try to preach. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Christmas has came upon us very quickly this year. It seems like only yesterday that we were celebrating Christmas and opening gifts. If you remember on last Christmas Eve, it snowed. <laughs> Uh, we had a big snow. It turned at the beginning of the day. It was warm, and and they kept saying it's going to snow. And I said, No, there's no way. And uh, it did, and it came, and it. And I mean, we had like a foot or more of snow, and barely could get around. I had to take my mother home through a awful snowstorm. There was ice on the on the road, and then snow on top of that. So I'm hoping we don't repeat that this year. Everybody wants a white Christmas, not me. I don't want it to be white because we got people traveling, and it's dangerous. But it has came on us quickly. In fact, this whole year has just flown by. I remember when it turned 2021 and everybody was thinking, well, we finally got 2020 in our, in our background and 2021 is going to be better. And it seems it's been worse. Uh, hopefully, 2022 is going to be better. But you just, you never know. But listen, unless you're Jewish or Jehovah Witness, uh, you probably have spent time recently trying to find gifts for people. Christmas gifts. We buy for our children. We buy for my mother and uh, a few other people. And uh, we always try to look for that gift that's perfect for whoever it is we're trying to pick it out for. And it's hard on some people. Some people have everything. They don't need anything. They won't tell you what they want, no matter how hard you try. So you just have to kind of figure it out. Uh, usually in those cases, we end up giving gift cards. It's uh, probably the easiest. Uh, you can give somebody an Amazon gift card and they just go get whatever they want. Uh, but uh, there's, there's some people it's easy to get for. 
Uh, you know what they like, uh, what they collect, and the things they're interested in. You know, we some of our children are that way. Um, I can think of all kinds of things I can get my son uh, and my daughters as well. They they all have interest, and we can get things. But there's some people that's just almost impossible to decide what is the perfect gift to give that person. And we rack our brains. And that's the question we're asking today. What do you get someone who has everything? What do you get someone who created the heavens and the earth? What do you get someone that owns the cattle on a thousand hills? I mean, he has it all. What do you get Jesus? What's the perfect Christmas gift to give to Jesus? Isaiah 66 and 1 tells us that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Psalm 50 and 10 tells us every beast of the forest and the cattle upon a thousand hills are his. Psalm 50 and 12 tells us the world is his. Is there anything that's not God's? No, it's all his. And so what do you get someone who has it all? (laughs) In our opening text here, we find this familiar Christmas story of when Jesus was born and these wise men come uh, sometime later after he's been born uh, to try to find him. And we're going to talk about a few things, uh, a few misconceptions of Christmas. I, do, I like to do that to get people out of this, this Hollywood thought of Christmas because most people's thoughts of Christmas are Hollywood influenced or stories and fable influenced. They're not Bible influenced. And so they believe a lot of things that are not true. <laughs> and so we will be looking at a few of those things today. But uh, probably Luke chapter 2 is the most um, famous Christmas passage, what most people read from. We read from it on Christmas before we get out gifts. We we read from that. Uh, my wife's parents did that growing up, and uh, it caught on. I would go over to their house at Christmas time, and uh, they did that, and it impressed upon me that, that that's a great thing to do. And so we would read. We carried that on to our family. But uh, here um, in, in this passage we just read here in Matthew chapter 2, if you notice, it says that they came into a house. That's down there in uh, verse 11. It says when they were come into the house, and it says they saw the young, the young child. They didn't say a babe or a baby. They didn't say it was a manger. They didn't say it was there where the inn was. They just said when they came into the house. So this is sometime later than when he was first born. And this is where a lot of people get confused. You see, the Gospel of Luke doesn't mention the wise men. He mentions a lot of other things, but he doesn't mention the wise men that come. But in Hollywood and in these little plays that we put on, you know, everybody's put those on. Churches, I grew up in churches. We put on a little play at Christmas time. We had the, you know, the angels and we had the manger scene, Mary and Joseph, and somebody always bring a doll and put in that manger scene. But we always had the three kings. We three kings of Orion are. Isn't that the song? Bearing gifts, we travel so far. That's who that song is talking about. And that's who's being represented in these little plays. But those wise men, those kings, were not there during his birth. Immediately upon his birth. And so these events that we're reading about today didn't take place at the time of Jesus' birth. It had been known for a while. Probably two years. He's probably two years old by this time. It's time enough for these wise men, which are magi, that is the technical term for what these wise men are, and that can mean all manner of things. Magicians, sorcerers, scientists, astrologers, uh, those that dealt with uh, secret things of nature, 
uh, curious arts. All these types of people in the Bible are referred to as wise men. If you remember over in, in Daniel chapter 2, in the last verse, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar was uh, uh, thanking Daniel for interpreting his dreams, and part of his thanks was that he made him ruler over those uh, that were over the, the wise men. That's in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 48. He made him the chief governor over all the wise men of Babylon. Now, Babylon is the same area these three, uh, the Bible calls them wise men here. You can refer to them as kings. Sometimes they are referred to as kings. Uh, if you remember the kings there in Genesis, uh, when uh, Abraham was around and the kings would all come together in war, that, that's the same type of people. So these men could have been kings of, of certain countries in that uh, Persian area, there in the Orient. Uh, but they are called kings sometimes. Psalm 72, 10 through 11 says, The kings of Tarshish and of the Isle shall, being, uh, shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. So this may be part of this prophecy from the Psalms saying that these kings would come. And I believe that's what this is. But despite these wise men being from the east, probably Persia, the area of Babylon, that's where Babylon started, where Persia is. We call it today, it's modern-day Iran. Uh, this is the area that all this takes place in. This is the same place where the Chaldeans were, the same place where Daniel was in captivity with the rest of Judea, uh, Judah. Uh, Daniel was in captivity there. And so this, when the, when the Jews were brought into captivity into that area in Babylon, they brought with them the scripture. And so Babylonians or Chaldeans had access to the Jewish scriptures. These wise men, no doubt, have been studying Jewish scripture. And they know the prophecy of those prophets. Uh, Isaiah, Malachi, Micah. All these people that foretold of this coming king that would be born. That's who they're looking for. This king that's been prophesied. And the only way they know that, these are Gentile kings. These are not Jewish kings. The only way that these Gentiles, these pagans, know about this is they've studied the Bible, the Jewish scripture. And so that, that goes to show you that even back in those days that they had access to God's word. People had access to it. Some people say, well, the Jews didn't really know anything about God's word. They didn't have access to it. Yeah, they did. <laughs> even the Babylonians had access to the, the Jewish writings because they brought them with them. But uh, these, these wise men or kings, or you can call them what you want to, the Bible here in Matthew calls them wise men. And so we'll just stick with that. Uh, they are well studied in Jewish scripture. Um, and they've traveled to Jerusalem to talk with the king to find out where this new king had been born. <laughs> now this is a very big surprise to King Herod, who was the king at that time over Jerusalem. When they come to him and say, where is this king of the Jews that's been born? And he's like, what? The Bible says he was very troubled and all Judea with him. And you know why they're troubled, don't you? Because he troubled them. Oh, King Herod has is, is went crazy because somebody has claimed um, rights to the throne that belongs to him. He's king, you know, uh, over the Jews. And so uh, he wants to know who this guy is and where he's at. But he's not going to come out to these wise men and tell them that he wants to kill this new king of the Jews. He's under the guise that he's going to worship him. And 
So he's going to send them off to, to search for Jesus under the guise of worship. He tells them, what did he say? Go and, and uh, look for him. Uh, verse 7, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently, what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. That was a lie. He wanted them to go find him, but he didn't want to go worship him. Uh, in other words, what he's going to do, he's going to send out an assassin. He's going to do everything in his power to get rid of this threat to the throne. And so these wise men are there, and they have no idea that Herod is doing this until later on, as we read there in verse uh, 12, the last verse there, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they'd pardon their own country another way. You see, they didn't have any idea that what they were doing was being spies for Herod. Uh, they thought they were doing a good good deed until the Lord revealed to them in a dream. And this also goes to show you that God speaks to those that even are not uh, his. These Gentiles, these pagans, they were not what we would consider a Christian. They weren't Jewish. They, they were not part of uh, God's family. They were curious. They were uh, inquisitive. They wanted to find out. They were men that, that searched for knowledge. And that's what they're doing. That's the reason they're there. But we notice that even, even so, God speaks to them. God spoke to many people throughout the Bible that were not his. He used them. He uses people that are not his. And so I've heard some people say, well, you know, God doesn't speak to anyone. It's not one of his. You need to read the Bible if that's what you think, because God speaks to people that are not his all the time. And uh, he uses those. So uh, these wise men, they, they go out. And uh, Herod is trying to protect his throne. He, he devises this scheme here. Uh, this same thing that he, the Egyptians did. Remember in the days of Moses? That's what was going on there. The Egyptians uh, tried to kill off all the, all the Hebrew children. That's why Moses was in the bulrush. And, and they, because they were supposed to kill Moses. Instead of killing him, they put him out there in the, in the, in the bulrushes. And uh, thankfully, the Lord directed all that. And uh, we know what happened. But... The Egyptians uh, tried to do away with, with uh, Hebrews back then. This is annihilation of a, of a race. That's the same thing that this uh, Herod would like to do. He'd like to annihilate this threat to the throne and this, the, the race behind it. And so they will put out a decree to kill all the children that's two years old and younger. And that's, that's one of the reasons uh, that all this goes on at that time. They're wanting to try to get rid of Jesus. But we're not really focusing our attention upon these certain details today. I did want to put that out there because of the confusion a lot of people have at Christmas time on the events that took place. You know? And there's nothing wrong with having little plays and stuff. That's fine. But you need to teach your children the truth. You know, when you, when you tell them there was three kings that come in. And by the way, there's nowhere in the Bible that said there was three of them. They had three gifts. But that doesn't mean there was three. There might have been a whole caravan of these wise men. They might have been two. Uh, who, who knows? The Bible doesn't give a number. And so we put a number on it. Now people say there was three kings come from the Orient. How do you know? There might have been five kings. And so be very careful when it comes to things like that, that you, that you teach the truth, you teach the Bible. Don't teach Hollywood. Don't teach fairy tales. Teach the truth. So... Uh, I know I'm getting off on a rabbit trail there, but listen, in verse 11, we read that these wise men, they, they brought these gifts to Jesus. This is where we want to focus on, a gift for Jesus. Now, they didn't have any problem bringing the perfect gift. They brought the perfect gift at that time. 
This was the, the designated gift that they were to give to a king. And they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's probably one reason that's led people to think there was three of them because of the three gifts. Uh, but listen, the gifts that the wise men brought that day to Jesus were the very best gifts that could be brought to someone. It was stated in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 6, The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of the Midian and the Ephah. All they from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. So these were not just random things that they picked up on the way. They didn't stop off at uh, big lots and try to find something in the clearance aisle to, uh, to bring to Jesus. They had this all planned out. As soon as they discovered the star and saw it and, and made the connection between that star that's showing and the prophecies that they had read in the Jewish uh, literature, and they put them all together and they said, well, this is the prophecy coming true. And so they researched. They would have saw right here, just as we read, these gifts that's fit for a king in Isaiah chapter 60. We need to bring gold and frankincense. And they brought myrrh. This gold represents his royalty. Uh, kings have gold. I mean, gold is associated with kings. I know that uh, what purple or uh, whatever, scarlet, is associated with kings as well. But uh, gold, when you connect a king, they wear a gold crown. Uh, gold, a gold scepter, gold everything. Uh, frankincense, that represents his divine nature. And then this myrrh, of course, is going to represent his suffering. The myrrh that they would put on a body there in, in during times of suffering and death. And so all three of these gifts are appropriate for Jesus at that time in history. Uh, so we know these first gifts given to him. We know what they were. We know why they were given to him and the purpose of them and all that. But what about today? Are we going to give Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh today? Why would we? Um, he's not. He doesn't need that. He doesn't want that. That's not what Jesus wants from us. So what could we possibly get Jesus, who owns everything, who could speak the words and have whatever he wanted in his possession? We know he doesn't do that. He did speak the world into existence. He did want the world. He did want us. He created this whole planet, this whole universe just by simply speaking the words. And so if he wanted anything, he could have it. But what would he want from us? Well, we know he wants our heart. We know that for a fact. Uh, the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance because he loves us. That's why he gave Jesus, which we preached about this last Sunday, the perfect gift or the gift that was given to us, the uh, unspeakable gift the Sunday before last. And so he does want things from us our devotion. He wants uh, our holy living, our righteous living. He wants our souls. He wants our heart. He wants our mind. He wants everything about us. But what do we give him that he, he doesn't have at this time? Well, that's a good question. Uh, look over in, in Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, and you'll see what it is that God wants from us what the gifts are that we can give him that he does not have right now. Usually, he doesn't have them. Micah chapter 6, starting verse 6. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of river, rivers of bull? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require thee? Here we go. But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Verses 6 and 7, the writer's asking the same things that we are. What do we get, God? What would you like, God? And he, and he lists off several things. You want my burnt offerings, my finest animals? Lord, is that what you want from me? Do you want thousands of rams or gifts of expensive oils? Because King, what's his name over here, does? You know, everybody else wants that. Is that what you want from me? Well, Lord, what about my even my precious child? Do you want my child? Would that be a gift that you'd want from me? And each one of these, the Lord says, no, I, I don't want those things. I'm not interested in those things. Well, what is it, Lord? What could I possibly give you that would please you? And verse 8 gives us his answer. The Lord gives his, notice their requirements. It says, the Lord require of thee to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Those are the three gifts that God wants from us. He expects from us. That first one, to do justly. That word justly used in our King James Bible, it means to use fair judgment on someone. Now, I, I'll have to admit today, I, I've not always used fair judgment on everyone. If somebody looks a certain way that I don't like, I usually are not very fair to them. I'm really not. Uh, or I haven't been in the past. I see somebody that's doing something that I totally disagree with. I'm not going to treat them fairly. That's, that's, that's the way I am. And the Bible says here, though, that he wants us to be just. He says, but to do justly. Well, how do we treat somebody fair and without, uh, without being in, you know, impartial or partial to them in some way? How do we do this? Well, our judgment, the way we treat other people, should radiate our relationship with God. How we are living with the Lord, how our daily walk is, should be reflective of how we treat other people and how we are just with them. Uh, what does that say about us? Well, I'm afraid that in most cases, uh, we don't walk close enough to the Lord to where the justification that he has shines in our lives. We're very selfish people. Uh, we tend to only agree with people that we agree with. If someone does something we don't agree with, we, we don't want to have anything to do with them. We want to turn them away. And so, what does this mean? We should be living in a manner that the Holy Spirit would would want us to, a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Now, the Bible tells us all kinds of ways to live pleasing to the Lord. We know that. We're to live a righteous life, a holy life. We're to shun the things of the world. We're not to love the things of the world. There's so many things. We're to congregate together uh, with uh, fellow church members. A lot of things that God wants us to do. We're to pray were to uh, to give uh, offerings and tithes. There's a lot of things that pleases the Lord. But the way we treat others is important to him. Um, we need to make sure there's no dishonored motives when we the way we treat other people. Even if we don't agree with them, 
we should have the love of the Lord in our hearts. Not that we're uh, agreeing with what they do. We're not uh, saying that we uh, uh, support what they do. There's a lot of people in this world, I'm not going to support what they do or what they believe. Uh, but I can still love them and treat them justly and fairly the way the Lord wants us to. A gift that Jesus would want from all of us is to walk justly as he walked. Uh, when we were saved, we become what is known as a Christian. We weren't always called Christians. They were first called Christians in Antioch, the Bible says, the ascending church that Paul was sent from. Uh, before then, they were, we were referred to as those that were in the way. And not that we were in everybody's way, even though Christians were, but those that walked in the way of the Lord. And then somebody come up with a little derogatory term called a Christian. Oh, look at those Christians acting like a little Christ. And that's what that word means, Christians. It's Christos. Little imitators of Christ is what it means. And so what we should do is be little imitators of Christ. Live the way that he would live. He walked justly. The Bible says he's just. And so this means we don't cheat other people. We don't take advantage of other people. We treat people right all the time. No dishonest motives about us. And we do things that God would do, and we do it justly. And so, uh, you know, there's some people today would cheat their own mother out of, out of money. Uh, some people are just so callous and cold. I know people that, boy, they just, they would fight you tooth and nail for everything. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people today that claim that they're Christian, but uh, they sure don't live a life that's just or justly with other people. Uh, what about when you get too much change back from the cashier? And, you know, she she gives you a 10 back and she just gave you a 5 or a 1. What do you do? Do you just kind of look around and stick in your pocket and walk out? Or do you say, well, wait a minute there. I think you gave me too much change back. And that's what we ought to do. But a lot of people think, oh, it's my lucky day. There's no such thing as luck. And so uh, we should walk justly and do right every time uh, that we can. Uh, during my time in seminary, Pastor Sexton, he'd say, you can't treat people wrongly and claim you're having the right fellowship and relationship with God. Ouch. <laughs> that that uh, gets right to the quick. You're not treating people right. You're not living right with the Lord. If we're living right with the Lord, if our relationship is right with the Lord, we're going to treat people fairly and justly. So that's one of the gifts that the Lord wants from us. The second thing we see in that text there in verse 8 of Micah chapter 6 is to love mercy. That word mercy means goodness and kindness, a loyal love, a patient love. Mercy. It's the same thing that God had on us. And we love to brag about the mercy of God. Oh, God's grace and his mercy. He had mercy on me, a low count, no count sinner. You know, we, we brag on it. But how many of us have mercy on other people? This is related directly to the being just to people. People that we don't agree with, people we don't like, people that, that doesn't look like us or talk like us or believe like we do. Do, do we have mercy on them? In most cases, we don't. But we want to claim God's mercy. Yeah. But we should treat others with that kind of mercy God's shown us. The, the bum on the street. A lot of people look at people that's homeless. They say they deserve to be that way. They don't want to work. Those old filthy bums, you know, they could get a job. There's all kinds of jobs. There's jobs open everywhere, you know. Reach in your pocket, get a dollar, and give it to them. Have a little mercy. 
You don't know what one little thing like that might make a difference in somebody's life. I face that every day when we work downtown. And I know I talk about it uh, quite a bit. It made such an impact on me. When we worked in our office downtown, Knoxville, I saw the homeless every day, every day. And my heart would just break for them. And I would talk to some people and say, oh, don't give him any money. He's nothing but a bum. He's out here every day bumming money from somebody. He's nothing but a drunk and all this stuff like that. If I had a dollar in my pocket, I gave it to him. If I had two sausage biscuits from McDonald's, I gave him one of them. You know? uh, it's just the, the way that I am. I have this passion for those people. And I know a lot of them probably could get a job. Some of them could. But there's some that can't. Some of them's been so badly abused, and uh, some of them have been so uh, messed up on on drugs and alcohol, and there's no way they can hold a job. And you know, I'm not saying that what they did was was right or anything, but we're to have mercy on people. What do you think the Lord would do if He walked through there and saw all those people like that? You think He's going to kick them to the curb and say, "You bum, get a job"? No, He's going to have mercy on them. He had mercy on you. There's not a one of us today, you know, that's guaranteed the next day that we're going to have what we have today. We don't know. I could, I could go back to work Monday and they give me my, you know, walking papers, you know, with bills and house payments and everything we couldn't keep up. You know, the bank could foreclose and we'd be out on the street. You know, somebody going to walk by and say, look at those bums. <laughs> yeah. So we need to think before we start judging people. Uh, that bum on the street probably deserves, you know, as much mercy or does deserve as much mercy as we do. Um, and listen, Jesus, he's not looking for our little measly sacrifices. A lot of times we think about sacrifice and it's whatever is easy for us. Some people say, well, I need to give and they give what they have that doesn't hurt them. Listen, he wants our love and our mercy and have mercy on others the same way he has on us. Now, the way that he had mercy on us was very um, expensive. It was very costly. It was very um, uh, terrible. Uh, because the only way he had mercy on us is that he had to give his life for us. And so we need to remember that. This, this third thing, this third gift that the Lord wants from us is to walk humbly with God. That word humbly means an act of humility to lower oneself. Now that flies in the face of today's teaching. You know, self-esteem, boy, that's, that's the big thing today. What's in it for me? You know, you need to go out and take what's yours. You know, you hear this taught, and if you watch anything on television, that's the main dominant teaching is that everyone is out for their self. That's not God's teaching. God doesn't teach this high self-esteem nonsense that's going on today. Your humility reflects your view of God. A man that's prideful and puffed up, it's going to reveal that you don't have a high view of God. Because if you did, you would know where your place is. <laughs> and it's nothing to be proud of. Uh, those that hold God in high esteem, who love and adore God, their lives will show forth humility. When we view ourselves above others and better than others, our view of God is very, very low. And look, we're we're quick to swell up with pride about everything. You know, we live in the 
country of pride. Everything's pride. We're proud of this, proud of that. You know, uh, we want to get praise from everybody. Everybody wants to do one little thing and, and get one million likes on Facebook for it. You know, or get retweeted for it or whatever they do now. And uh, listen, we need to keep in mind what the Bible says about this pride. Proverbs 16 and 5 says, Everyone that's proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. James 4 and 6 says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So uh, listen, before we get all puffed up and put our chest out and act like we're better than everybody else and we deserve this and deserve that, we need to remember what God did for us. And uh, we all need a, a lesson in humility. And if God has to humble you, that's one of the worst lessons you'll ever learn in your life. You better humble yourself before the Lord before he makes you. So what gifts can we give Jesus this year? Well, first of all, to do justly, to treat everyone the same as you want to be treated. Now, if we can do that, I think we'll be all right. We're to give him our love of mercy. He says to love mercy. In other words, give people as much mercy as God's given you. How many is willing to do that today? I know what God saved me from. I know what kind of person I am. I know that I'm a sinful creature. I didn't deserve his love and mercy, and he gave it to me. Am I going to offer that same type of mercy to someone else? The third gift we can give Jesus is to walk humbly with God. Get our selfish pride out of the way. Humble ourselves before an almighty God, and he will give us grace. That's what the Bible says. He'll give us grace. And so, uh, listen, being humble doesn't mean that you pretend. It's not something you can pretend to be. Uh, humbleness comes from a, a, a heart that's right with God, a heart that is pure and just. Uh, this uh, false humility is, is seen very quickly. You can see right through somebody's false humility. You see it in these politicians. You see it in these people that get caught in their sin. They get on TV and boo-hoo and blather and cry and snot and snort and go on. They're not, they're not a bit more sorry for it. All they're sorry for is they got caught. But they put on this big act of, of being humble. You know, they got caught and I'm so sorry. Yeah, until they do it again. And they're right back in the same place. There's no humility there. You can see right through it. God doesn't need our false pretenses. He don't need fake worship. There's a lot of that going on today. He don't need anything from us, but he expects us to do his will. And his will is put out in the Bible. Remember what it said? These things the Lord doth require of thee to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. Mark 12 and 30 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Listen, friends, if we just obey this first commandment, all these others are going to be taken care of. These gifts that we can give Jesus, if we live our life in the way the Bible tells us to live it, then we've got it all taken care of. How about it this morning? What will your Christmas gift be to Jesus this year? If you've not been saved, the greatest gift would be that you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That'd be the greatest thing to do. But then we need to 
do justly with other people. We need to have mercy on others, the same as we want. And we need to walk humbly with God. No pride puffed up proud, but humble before the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the message. Lord, thank you for showing us in your word what it is you want of us, you require of us, you said. God, I'm praying for that individual today or those that are not saved. Lord, they have never believed in the finished work of Christ on the cross. They've never called on the name of the Lord to be saved. Lord, would you convict their heart today? Show them the need for salvation before it's too late. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for those that you've saved in this world. Thank you for giving us the gift of Jesus. And Lord, may we remember these gifts that you require of us. Lord, if we can just do just, have mercy, and be humble before you, Lord, we know that everything will work out. Lord, we thank you for our church. Thank you for this Christmas season, everything you bless us with. We pray that you receive any glory from it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.